Hey, it's Tom Sullivan with Forging Ahead, and I've got Joe from ScholarJet with me this morning. Joe, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Cool. Thanks for having me, Tom. Uh, yeah, so my name is Joe Aleem. I'm the co-founder and COO of ScholarJet. Um, I basically do, I wear many hats at the ScholarJet team. We can dive into that later if we want to. Um, but the main goal is to help candidates from diverse backgrounds launch their careers and help companies increase the diversity within their organizations. Nice. You've got the uh, elevator nice and tight. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess like, I feel like it would be somewhat tone deaf to jump right in without asking a little bit about, you know, what you think is going to happen over the next couple of weeks for, you know, the team. Um, we're recording this on March 16th, sort of right in the, on the heels of uh, the mayor of Boston kind of shutting down big parts of the city for the coronavirus. Um, so just curious if you want to riff on that for a minute. Yeah, I think um, in general, standard stuff is work from home, the social distancing, everything like that. Uh, my team's all remote now, and um, we're happy to say that like this is an effective way for us to work, so it's not like too jarring, and we're happy to say that our jobs enable us to do that. Um, some of the things that we're thinking about for, you know, uh, a lot of people are saying this is just the beginning, and I think that very much might be true. So we're thinking about how this affects kind of our long-term or at least, you know, the next three to six months, our growth plans that, you know, we were trying to target and hit. Um, we're in the talent acquisition recruiting space. So depending on how a lot of other companies respond, it's going to be like, is hiring going to slow down? Maybe. Is business going to slow down in general? Maybe. Um, and depending on all these things, we might just have to kind of like maybe try to lower our burn or try to just be more realistic with saying like things are going to be slow and that's okay um, and dealing with things as they come. I think there's so many things that we can't predict right now. Um, we're kind of playing it by ear, but I think most of all is being mindful of what everyone else might be going through as well. Um, these are hard times. People might have relatives somewhere. People might be um, dealing with childcare issues, especially if they have different types of jobs. But um, yeah, I think uh, most of all, uh, just keep grinding if we can and stay safe. That's great. Thank you. Um, let's jump back to kind of the origin story of ScholarJet. Can you give us um, the early days of, you know, pre-company and some of the ideas you were kicking around and maybe tell us about some of your, your partners or co-founders? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, ScholarJet actually started as a uh, – scholarship company. We were trying to give scholarships in a different way. Um, my two co-founders, Tuan Ho and Francisco Calderon, um, we all grew up from underserved communities, um, found our way to Northeastern one way or another, and trying to pay for it. We all had very different experiences trying to fund our education. I think I was the, the smart one, just took out tons of student loan debt. <laughs> no, but um, we basically saw that the way to get scholarships and the way to get funding for your education was largely limited to your writing ability. Uh, Tuan grew up in Vietnam. Francisco grew up in the Dominican Republic. Uh, English was their second languages. And uh, Tuan's a mechanical engineer, as am I. Francisco's a computer scientist. And none of us are good at writing essays. So um, we were looking at this process. Uh, Tuan actually wrote 120 essays uh, to, find, to apply to over 40 scholarships. And he was able to get a full ride to Northeastern based on that. And he came up with the original idea of uh, we called it an action-based scholarship. Why can't you, you know, show us your skills and talents and, you know, really do something that's aligned with your career path to actually get a scholarship? And we all met at Northeastern. Uh, he came to me uh, after a couple of weeks of having this idea. And I had actually started a professional organization on campus called the Society of Asian Scientists and Engineers. And he was one of the early members. And my whole goal was to help develop a community where people can grow personally, professionally. So I was already kind of interested in, you know, helping others succeed. That's been something that's been resonating with me since since I was young. And Tuan, Tuan comes up to me and say, I had this idea. Um, can you hear me out? I said, sure. <laughs> and uh, after... I remember after a you know thirty minute hour conversation, he goes, "You want to be my co-founder?" I was like, "What's that? What's a co-founder?" <laughs> and 
uh, he basically explains to me, let's start this thing together. I said, well, considering that you know, I'm about to graduate in the next year, um, I'm a mechanical engineer interested in biomedical devices. This is a little bit of a, of a, of a pivot. <laughs> um, but let me think about it, and I'll get back to you uh, soon. I called him maybe like two hours later. I'm in. Let's do this. <laughs> let's go full steam ahead. Um, not too long later, we we're like, we need a, a technical co-founder to help us build the platform. We found Francisco in the scholarship office at Northeastern. Um, basically, he's someone who also, uh, he actually started off as a, in Bunker Hill Community College and did really well there and got a full ride scholarship from Northeastern as well. And I remember we were asking around, like, who knows how to code? And he, he told us, I can code anything. We're like, okay, this guy, <laughs> this guy's good. We, we got we to gotta see what he's about. Um, but that's kind of the original story, the original idea of us kind of coming together. Um, and I remember we basically tried to kind of group as many people as possible in the early days, just asking friends, 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 like who wants to help. And I think we had like a team of like 11 or 12 or something like that at the very beginning um, of people who were just excited. But what wound up happening is the three of us who were the most passionate, excited about the idea wound up just staying, grinding it out and here we are. <laughs> nice. What happened in that two hour window for you mentally mm. to say, I'm in? Yeah. So I think I'm always excited about the prospect of one, helping people, creating an impact that way. And that was even like found in my mechanical engineering days of I wanted to work on medical devices. I wanted to work on things that help people. Um, and I also just, my friends always say, like, I like to live life on hard mode. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, starting a company, I don't know too much about this. And this is actually something I can touch upon later. But people who grow up in kind of lower income communities, you don't really know, like, what it means to start a tech company. Like, um, I know, like, my parents own a deli grocery store. I'm like, cool, I know what it's like to start that or maybe a restaurant or, a, you know, something like that. <clears throat> but a tech company, not really. And I just kind of was super excited about the prospect of being and starting this kind of completely unfamiliar thing. And I found myself extremely energized by the prospect of initially just helping people who need help just get scholarships and everything like that. So I said, what the heck? I've, I've, done, I've done a lot of things aside from my academics. You know, I can add one more thing on my plate, see how it goes. And um, just I remember the first week of of like Tuan uh, saying like, cool, let's do this. Uh, I think we must have went to, you know, like a dozen networking events. And Tuan was like, the most important thing. He's like, I read all these books where we're still figuring out what we're doing, but we just got to meet people and talk to as many people as we can about the idea. Cool, I'm in. Meanwhile, you know, I'm a, I'm a social person, but I wasn't used to like walking up to someone at a networking event, giving a pitch and introducing myself. That was completely foreign to me. I think over the years, I've noticed that I've go I've gone from like the edges and the outsides of the <laughs> of the events, so now I'm a little bit more central and comfortable being in the middle. Um, but that was certainly uh, the first week we uh, <laughs> we were at all these events and saying like, okay, well, what are we doing? What are we starting? Let's get some feedback. Let's let's, let's do this, and it was it was fun. <laughs> That's awesome. What um, do you remember the conversation maybe you had with your folks? about what you were going to go and do? Like, what, how did that go? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so my parents are immigrant parents. My dad's from Egypt. My mom's from Malaysia. And all my life, they've emphasized the importance of education. Uh, to this day, my dad's still trying to get me to get a PhD or something in, in something, just anything, just so I can have a PhD. Mm -hmm. um, but they were really excited that, you know, I was studying mechanical engineering, going into biomedical engineering, um, I, was, I, was, I got a master's degree as well. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this was more, when we were first starting, they didn't know that I was going to commit to this full time. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to commit to this full time. But as I got closer to graduation, I had the conversation. I was like, guys, I, I'm, I'm going to do this full time. This is, this is a company that I'm dedicated to starting and building. And um, I'm learning a lot. I'm making an impact. This is great. I'm going to do it. My parents were like, what? Um, like, what's your starting salary? There's no starting salary. <laughs> they're, um, they're like, well, with your master's degree and everything like that, like, like you should be, you should be making six figures. You should be, you should be doing really well for yourself. I said, well, 
money can come later. Um, what's more important is that I learn and make an impact, do something that I feel is super useful. And I mean, I, I will be honest, like to this day, my parents are still confused by what we are doing. Initially with the scholarship kind of side of the company, uh, my dad was like, what are you, Robin Hood, like taking money from corporations, giving them to students and like, what, what's going on here? Um, like, where is your engineering? Um, but I think over the years, like, I think we've given over about over $100,000 of scholarships now. We've helped a lot of people get jobs and um, they're starting to see, okay, you're, you're actually making a real impact. You're doing something. Um, but I know a little part of them is still like, well, why aren't you just building robots anymore? <laughs> Is that hard? Um, I think I think it is. Um, over the years, of course, I've gotten used to it. Um, I think they want what's best for me. Uh, they want financial security. You know, they grew up in low-income families as well. They came to America, pursued the American dream. Um, they opened up their own small business, and they're really excited about that. My dad was like, I, I told my dad one of my first reactions was like. You started your own business. You've been. You always told me to be my own boss and everything like that. He's like, I didn't mean for you to do it this quickly. <laughs> um, but I think you know, having my parents who who did help and support me, you know, of course, until I'm adult, um, you know, having them say like, "Cool, I, I appreciate what you're doing and I understand that is is important." Um, and over the years, they've they started to see that and. The early days was tough. It was, I mean, I still had to make that decision before I graduated. Am I going to do this full-time or am I going to get a full-time job somewhere else? It's more steady, stable. Like I have a ton of student loan debt. Um, I have bills. I, I don't, um, my parents are in New York. I'm in Boston. So it was a hard decision for me and having their pressure of like, hey, you really need to make sure that, you know, you are making a steady income. is super important. Um, that made the decision pretty difficult but we actually had some ways to overcome that. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I wanted to create some space there because I know how, um, it, I just was kind of feeling that that might be hard. So that was why I was chasing down that curiosity. Um, shifting a little bit to is the business the exact same as it was when you guys left Northeastern or have you started to do slightly different stuff? Yeah, so it's it's pretty different now. Um, basically, we started off as this um, do something uh, for your scholarship. And the core of your actions speak louder than your words. Show us what you can do. Don't just tell us about it. That has always been the core value of ScholarJet. So that has stayed the same. But the way that we've been funding things and the kind of the reward of the action has changed. Um, we are basically now a platform for people to get hired and launch their careers for entry-level positions. And the way that you do that is we've totally kind of changed the way that you apply to jobs to be more project, more action, more exercise-based. Basically, if a candidate wants to apply to a sales position, we ask them to write a cold email, create a sales pitch, come up with creative ways to prospect uh, uh, clients. If you're applying to an engineering position, we're going to ask you to show us some code, show us um, show us the, how you solve the challenging engineering problem, um, and so on and so forth. So basically, we're trying to create almost like a common app for job applications that's project-based. Whatever job you're applying to, we're going to ask you a couple exercises, a couple projects, and then you use this to apply to the jobs um, on our platform. We also give employers access to browse through these candidate profiles. And the goal is to have candidates not be judged by where they grew up, what their name is, what school they went to, um, what past internship experience they have, and kind of all these biases that we know about, have them be judged on, can you do the job? Are you qualified to do the job? And use that as the first gate to say, okay, let me, let me learn more about this candidate now. What drove the pivot from scholarships to working with companies looking for to hire? Yeah. Um, when we got into Mass Challenge in 2017, um, we we were still a scholarship company. We were trying to sell to universities to help them increase the number of scholarships they're bringing. We did some crowdfunding with individual donors. That was, that was a, a fun time. Um, but during Mass Challenge, we started interacting with a lot more corporations. And these kind of corporate sponsors of Mass Challenge started showing interest in sponsoring our scholarships. 
we're like, why? <laughs> um, we were focused on kind of undergrads, internship, uh, underclass, like sophomore, freshman at the time. But they were saying, oh, like I'll fund a two, $3,000 scholarship and um, you can help us help our employer brand, but also build a pipeline of talent. And you are asking this talent specifically to do things that show off their skills, which is awesome. So we can just judge this scholarship competition and hire people. Like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, and kind of over the, the years, we've been kind of moving, we've moved more and more in that direction because we started to realize that maybe a one-time scholarship of 500, 1,000, 2,000, even 3,000 is great and all, but landing someone a sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year job at a tech company who cares about their growth, who values diversity, that's going to go so much longer of a way. Um, so once we started getting more and more corporate sponsors, less like individual uh, foundation type of sponsors, the corporations were making a huge impact in these students' recent graduates' lives. And we kind of just started listening to our customers more and more. This is what you want. We started moving up to from freshman, sophomore to kind of seniors and recent graduates. And that's kind of where we are today. Um, we're not done learning. We're still learning a lot. We might have a couple more pivots in the pipeline in the future. But we feel good about where we are now. We know that there's clear value on the candidate and the employer side. Um, and it's it's definitely been a, been a ride. Can you talk about the difference in business model for you guys? So thinking about when you're in Mass Challenge, trying to find people to fund scholarships to today, can you say a little bit about the different business models? Yeah, yeah. Um, we've had we've had dozens of business models, but the primary one when we were in Mass Challenge in 2017 was we were going to initially charge like a small percentage of the scholarship that we crowdfunded or however, um, as a fee to run that scholarship competition. Um, then somewhere in between, we were trying to sell to universities as a platform to attract um, alumni donors. And we were going to charge an annual licensing fee for them to use our software. Um, selling to universities is really hard story for another day, <laughs> but um the current business model now is that we're going to be charging a monthly or annual subscription fee so that employers can post jobs to our platform and access our candidate database. So a company can post a job, they're hiring BDRs, candidates will apply with their profiles, but at the same time, they can also just browse through our database of candidates. Say, I'm looking for people available to start working this date who are interested in this. And then they'll just browse through and evaluate them based on their skills. Got it. Thank you. Um, I have kind of two places I want to go. Um, one is thinking about, it almost feels like you have to serve candidates and companies. Mm -hmm. I want to hold on that one and just sort of ask a general question about marketing and sales. You mentioned the challenge of selling to universities, but can you tell me about sort of the tactics that you use today for marketing and sales? Yeah, so we are a marketplace. So there's the candidate employer side. Um, my personal focus on the team is more on the employer side, but I can talk to both. Um, on the employer side, it's honestly, it's pretty straightforward. Um, tons of companies have resources, have done this, but sold like B2B, uh, some sort of SaaS business. We're focusing on more smaller, medium-sized businesses for now, but we might go up to mid-market enterprise in the future. Um, but the primary way is... Uh, general networking, go to a lot of events, things like that. That was kind of the organic way of just finding people in the space who are interested, who are leaning forward, who wanted to experiment with something new. But mostly uh, emails and LinkedIn messages are um, the primary ways of uh, creating new prospects and things like that. Um, I very much, my philosophy in kind of sales and outreach is not to do these bulk hundred or a thousand contact email addresses um, a lot of people have found success with that and, you know, great for them. But for me, it's really trying to understand each prospect individually. Sometimes my team is like, you take so long to send one email. I was like, yeah, but that helps the conversion rate. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really caring genuinely about each company, each person that I'm reaching out to and saying, okay, like, can I actually be helpful or am I just trying to sell something? Um, and it's if, if I don't feel like I can be helpful, I just move on. 
Um, so a lot of LinkedIn messages, uh, a, lot of, a lot of emails. I spend a lot of my time on those uh, on, in my inbox and on LinkedIn, um, just trying to build purposeful connections. How did you, how did you learn that, Joe? Not, <laughs> not the LinkedIn and the email marketing. I feel like that's the easy stuff. But being able to take a second and have some empathy for somebody that you're going to reach out to, where did you learn that? Uh, I want to say that a part of it comes from, um, I mentioned my parents own a deli grocery store and I spent six years on weekends, summers, things like that, working with customers face-to-face on a, on a daily basis. Uh, that taught me a lot of people skills um, for sure. And, you know, when someone comes in at 6 a.m. and is grumpy and needs their coffee and everything like that and being able to empathize with them is super important. Um, that's what keeps customers coming back. So I learned a lot about customer service there. But then in general, I think um, just being aware on the flip side, like people have tried to sell me things, sell me things many, many times. And um, when you get that generic email and when you get that like feeling that that person genuinely doesn't care about anything um, that you say, let alone, hey, I want to move forward with this deal, um, it's not an effective strategy. So paying close attention to that, um, I think I have been a... I'm lucky to have the skill of being able to pick up on the social cues and things like that. Um, and just keeping that in mind whenever I'm interacting and just paying close attention. I do have an engineering background. Um, I'll AV test everything <laughs> um, and I'll just see what works. And what works is usually taking a longer time and paying close attention to little details and um, really genuinely giving a crap. <laughs> I love that. I just think it's a really mature way to do it. I was curious to see where that came from. Do you have a formal process for like AB testing, for example, like a LinkedIn outreach campaign? Um, I'm currently testing a couple of different like automation tools to make the process easier. Um, Engineering background again, it's like, let's try to, let's try to make uh, everyone's lives easier, more efficient. Um, But of course I'll always leave kind of like a space for you know, this, like, let me add a little bit of spice. Let me add a little bit of personalization. Um, the process is usually maybe I identify X number of companies hiring for a certain role, um, find all that contact information, and then I'll come up with kind of three different um, subject lines with, you know, um, and then kind of in the body of the message, a couple of different variations, but always leave kind of that space, send them out in kind of waves, you know, send the first, you know, 50, then see kind of what's happening there, make any necessary tweaks and another 50. Um, basically, see what works, send it out, keep iterating, never stop iterating. <laughs> sometimes I'll, you know, sometimes I will send one-offs and then if I get a really positive response, then incorporate that into the next test. Got it. So the thing that I'm curious about next is like when I go out to your website, which I love, um, I think it's really it's really like simple in the best way, like for somebody like me to be able to look at a project and the way that it's broken down. And there's like a section that I could do some like homework before I submit my project. I could go out to these resources and read a bit and get some ideas. It's not, it just feels like a, uh, like a really supportive way to execute the project. But the companies that I notice out there, um, Rapid Seven and Toast. Um, how did those relationships come about? Like, how did you, you know, quote unquote, close those guys? I mean, those are two of the the biggest and baddest, well known rocket ships <laughs> in Boston. Um, I'll start with uh, Rapid Seven and uh, Christina Luconi, their chief people officer, is one of the best humans who I've ever met. Um, I actually. This, this was not intentional, I'll be completely honest. Um, I stumbled across um, her LinkedIn profile um, and it was something about like, I love hyper growth, and like, cool, what's hyper growth? <laughs> um, and I started reading about like, she, she posts uh, blogs every single week and I think she's been doing it for a very long time. And I just started absorbing all this information about how to build a company culture, how to build a strong you know, people ops team, um, how to grow a company, um, and reading all these things, and I was like, this this person's awesome. She has some really good thoughts. And I just genuinely want to talk to her and pick her brain. 
I read this uh, pitch deck, I think that she had about um, rapid sevens values and culture. And I was like, this would just be a really cool, genuinely uh, uh, good person to talk to. So I reached out through a cold email <laughs> and um, I just said, like, read all this stuff. Like, I can't stop reading your stuff. I should be doing other things, but <laughs> um, like would love to, you know, spend 30 minutes just learning more and picking your brain about um, about this. And then um, we had a great conversation, phone call about that. And we had a couple more phone calls. But then I started, of course, like just me explaining ScholarJet happened Um and she loved the idea. She's super passionate about diversity and inclusion um, and growing businesses. And the Rapid7 hires a lot of entry-level people. Let's let's pilot something. Let's lean forward. And she's been great to offer advice. She's a very well-respected person in the people operations talent acquisition space. Um, so that's been great. <laughs> and uh, with Toast, uh, also very similar story. I just, I, just occurred to me it's like mike brown also just is a person who values diversity culture building a really strong organization uh, that relationship just spanned months you know i was never really trying to close anything with either of them it was just genuine curiosity and interest in their work um and being passionate about what i do and <clears throat> eventually mike actually he, he was at shift analytics at the time then moved over to toast after um I had also started developing a relationship with Toast, um, like six different people at Toast um, throughout the, the months. And then eventually uh, kind of everything aligned. And it was like everyone who was at Toast was always knowledgeable about ScholarJet. They were talking about scaling and growing. And then like, why don't we give this a shot? It's like, great, let's do it. <laughs> what is it about maybe those two organizations that, leave some clues that you can go and try to get another one of those style organizations? Yeah, I think the two things about those organizations is they have a really strong people operations team that values diversity and culture. And um, I don't say that lightly. I've talked to hundreds of different tech companies um, and they are truly ones who kind of put their money where their mouth is, really take action towards these initiatives, not just, you know, donate to some nonprofit and say like, hey, we did it, diversity. Um, but they're constantly evaluating and testing different things that can actually help them move the needle. Um, they have a great leadership team and it comes from the top down, you know, and from there you see it strong within like every layer in the organization um, from the coordinators and recruiters to the CEOs of these companies who really say like, this matters, let's do something about it. Um, it's not something you can type into a LinkedIn search and just say, find me companies who really give a crap about this and take action. Mm -hmm. uh, so it takes a lot of research. Um, but yeah, I think those two, those two companies, they're, they're high growth. They're doing really well. Um, they're hiring a lot and they're going, they're, they're, they're not in a rush to just fill roles as soon as possible just because. Um, and that's an important quality to have as well. Just like something that pops up for me, I think, in our previous conversation too. But how much do you lean into the like anti-resume thing? Like, Is that something you use in outreach? Yeah. Um, if, if I could just try to remove resumes from everyone's hiring process, I, I would. Um, <laughs> I think there's the resume has been around for, for a long, long time. I think anywhere from like the 1920s to 1950s when it started to gain real traction. Um, but candidates are trained that this is the most important thing to kind of optimize. And recruiters are trained, entry-level recruiters are trained that you have to learn how to read these really, really quick and process them really fast. And then here I come, like, you know, I'm, I'm young. I, I've never been a recruiter before. I've only been on a handful of interviews myself to apply to jobs. And I come and I say, hey, stop using resumes. These, these, are, these are awful, awful things. Um, and sometimes, you know, this is part of the testing and part of my fun is like, I'll send an email that's like, resumes suck. Let's stop using them right now. Something more creative than that. But um, oftentimes it's, you know, I have to empathize again with where they are and say, okay, well, this is something we're used to. This is something we've been using. And all of a sudden you're telling me to stop using it. Why? Like what's going on here? 
um, and changing this thing that's been around for so long and what everyone's used to and trained with, like it's, it's a hard reaction. Um, there's a lot of like in kind of classic startup um, world advice, you know, you have your early adopters then the, you know, the late majority, the early adopters are going to be the ones, okay, whoa, you know, remove resumes completely. Let me think about this a little bit more. Um, and then other people kind of follow uh, suit after that um, is our hope at least. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah. There's just, I can like feel an odd connection to some of the earlier marketing material from Drift mm-hmm. in Boston where they were no forms, no forms. And they put yeah. like the no smoking thing over forms, like uh, maybe an interesting case study to, to pull on um, for you guys. But I guess jumping back to uh, thinking about, you know, the word marketplace and what that means. And you sort of have these two populations that you serve. It is the companies who pay a fee to be able to post jobs and use the platform. And then there is the other side applicants. Could you just riff a little bit on how you think about serving? I know you said you're focused on the company side or the corporation side. Um, Can you riff a little bit about both sides? Yeah. So on the candidate side, um, the way we kind of get the word out is a combination of a couple of different things. Uh, My co-founder, Tuan, he leads the charge on this and he's been pretty creative over the years. Uh, One of my favorite things that he's done so far is create like an email list of thousands of professors across the country. Um, we actually tried to partner with career centers. Um, unfortunately, they're kind of under-resourced, understaffed, and uh, students kind of often don't engage with them as much as we'd like and they'd like. Um, but Tuan created an email list of thousands of professors and said like, hey, this is an opportunity for your students to show uh, what they're learning in class, apply it to real uh, practical exercises that simulate what they'd be doing on the job, um, potentially win some money, um, and also get hired. And these professors are like, sweet, I'll pass this along to my, my students. And uh, that was a very cool idea to build up the student base. We've also been partnering with a lot of nonprofits, boot camps, uh, like US Spire, Europe, Bottom Line, uh, a couple local organizations. Um, General Assembly, we've gone to a bunch of their events to say like, okay, now that you've helped skill these candidates, uh, these students, let's help them get placed. Um, so, and then we also use a lot of social media. We're experimenting with, you know, YouTube. We tried Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, the usual suspects. TikTok's beyond me right now. I'm starting to feel like I'm old, but <laughs> um, that, that might be something in the pipeline as well. But for the candidates, we target people mostly from state schools, community colleges, um, low-income backgrounds, boot camp graduates, people who don't have college degrees. Uh, That's our whole focus is people who are often overlooked um, in traditional hiring processes. And uh, educating them, um, uh, Tuan and I are on the phone with dozens of candidates every week just trying to help them. And honestly, I think a a big piece that's missing is uh, confidence and just a lack of knowledge of what opportunities are out there. Um, it's like you ask a candidate who goes to some community college or state school, even locally, and be like, have you ever heard of Toast, Wayfair, Rapid7, uh, Akamai, any, any of them? And they're like, no, well, let me tell you about them. Cool, that sounds really great. How do I apply? Like, here's how you apply. And then they do, and then they get hired. <laughs> um, and it's just like, I never heard of these companies before. And it leaves us wondering, like, what are the resources available to them that you know, prevents them from learning this or, um, you know, that like maybe they know big companies like, you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft, and et cetera. But um, we, we very much are trying to help be that bridge for them to apply their skills and learn what's out there and then connect them to them, those opportunities. How do you help with the confidence piece? Yeah, um, that's a tough one. And <laughs> uh, I think Tuan does an amazing job when he gets on the phone with a candidate, um, sometimes I overhear and it's just um, telling his story because he grew up in a single mother family in Dorchester locally. He, uh, he applied to these 120, uh, wrote these 120 essays, applied to all these scholarships. And, um, you know, we're not saying we made it by any means, but he started his own company and he's leading the charge here. We've raised some funding and um, 
hearing these candidates hearing that like, hey, he started off just where they are too. Um, and, you know, you can get out of this is uh, really inspiring to them. Uh, so he, he often takes that approach. For me, um, I kind of just say, well, here's something that we might ask you in like an entry-level sales position. I'll, I'll say something like, tell me about your favorite restaurant. Um, tell me three ways how it could be better. And they'll just start, you know, chatting. And I'd be like, great response. Now upload that, record that to the video and apply the toast. <laughs> um, and they're like, wait, really? I'm like, yes. You know, we just want to see your communication skills. We want to see your enthusiasm, your excitement. Um, and I'm like, I, even me simply saying like, you can do this. Like, I, I think that's a great response. Um, is something that unfortunately they, they're not used to and haven't heard. Um, and I'll be genuine if they're, if they're good, they're good. <laughs> and if they're not, I'll give constructive feedback and iterate with them and, um, keep helping them there. Um, so I know we're, we're not sure how that's going to scale these phone conversations, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, and then what about on the corporation side? Yeah. On the corporation side, I mentioned a little bit that lots of LinkedIn messages, emails, networking events, um, but honestly just building relationships with people in the space. Um, I'm, we're not in a crazy rush that's like, oh, we need to hit a million dollars of revenue like, as soon as possible. It's The goal is learn as fast as we can and build strong relationships. Um, and a lot of the times it will be just me genuinely curious and saying like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I like, and truly I'm not. I just like, here's six candidates that we're working with. Like, can you tell me if you'd hire them? Why or why not? And sometimes that turns into, wow, this candidate's really good. Like, can I interview them? Go ahead. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that would be great. Um, and just continuing to build those relationships, building a network. Um, I could probably use like just on the sales and marketing side, on the employer side, I could probably use to create more content um, to educate more people about skills-based, exercise-based hiring and our approach. Um, but a little bit of capacity issue right now. <laughs> Yeah, and I sort of think that that stuff, I'm, I'm finding personally that that could be a little bit of a distraction too. I think that your approach, there's a lot of merit in what you're doing in the way that you're doing it. I guess as like a small sidetrack in case anybody out there in the Boston community listens to this, are there two or three or five companies that you have as targets that we can help you crack into? Uh, let's see. I think uh, I recently saw that uh, Datadog is doing uh, a lot of hiring for entry level, and they're a very cool company that I respect a lot. Um, if anyone from Datadog is listening, reach out. Hello. A um, couple other companies. I mean, honestly, we know a lot of the recruiters at a ton of companies right now, and we're just kind of continuing to build those relationships. Um, I'm blanking right now on a list of companies, but I can get back to you. <laughs> I have a couple ideas too um, that maybe we could hit after. And, and uh, just from conversations I've had, like I have as part of this podcast experiment, I've tried to interview Boston founders and Boston people operations professionals. Um, so I have a couple ideas that we can, uh, we can kick around at another cool. time too. Thanks, um, thinking about the... I guess like kind of a, this is a hard transition, but you mentioned funding and, and trying to figure out a way to keep the lights on. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, funding is funding is a fun subject. Uh, basically, uh, I'll, I'll speak to, to my personal favorite yeah, part please. of the funding side, which was before we graduated, uh, Francisco, our third co-founder, he's He's technical, building up the platform, everything like that. But the, the earliest days was mostly me and Tuan. Um, we doing pitch competitions. Uh, we ran around everywhere, applying to every pitch competition, grant opportunity possible before we graduated to have some sort of initial uh, safety net. Um, none of us had savings, you know, by any means. We're about to graduate. These are the scholar gets my first full-time job. Um, so we're like, all right, how do we, I don't think we have enough traction and we don't even know what we're doing to raise angel investment yet. Uh, so like, you know what, let's practice our pitching skills. Tuan is an amazing storyteller, uh, pitcher. And um, the two of us would go up on stage. We, we've won 
like to, I think over the years, like $80,000 of pitch competition money. Uh, we went to Chicago, San Diego, uh, New York, Boston, like just kind of going all around. Um, don't tell our investors this. Well, this was before investors, but when we were in San Diego, we won a, I think it was a $8,000 fish competition. We immediately went to like a super fancy dinner after that and spent $500. And <laughs> we're like, we earned this, we earned this right? <laughs> I love it. Um, but that was the earliest days of fish competition money. Um, and honestly, it helped us for the investor pitches later on because we got so comfortable going up on stage in front of big audience, small audience, getting grilled with Q&A, and it, it, um, we, did, we did a good job there. Um, later, about a year later, after we kind of won this initial initial uh, money, we said, okay, let's, we've got some revenue, we've got some customers, we're growing, and let's, let's try to raise money from angel investors. Uh, we, honestly, it's just, it's a simple of, a, sometimes it's just a numbers game, reach out to as many as you can, see who resonates, see who's interested, and um, go from there. We, one angel investor group that I'd like to shout out is one in New York called 37 Angels. Um, they're a group of angel investors who's mostly woman-led, um, and they're passionate about diversity um, in not just the, the leadership of the companies that they're supporting, but in the group itself. And um, They're one of our early funders, but also the leaders in the talent acquisition space that I was building connections with, um, like Christina from Rapid7 and Mike from Toast, they wound up being investors also, which was awesome. Um, and then Tuan, Tuan is really the, the, the lead on this. And he uh, he's probably reached out to over a thousand different angel investors and uh, over the, the years or so and just developed relationships and found people who are passionate about the space. And, that kind of helped continue to fill things in. What did you learn in the early days of doing all those pitches? <laughs> um, one is never assume that people are familiar with the space that you're in at all. Um, we kind of went in kind of guns blazing. Like the scholarship process sucks and um, a lot of investors just never – never had to apply to scholarships for one reason or another, or their, their kids don't or anything like that. That's fine. Um, but when we kind of highlighted all the pain points in these, in these processes originally, um, we were kind of assuming that everyone was on the same page. Everyone came from the same demographic. So that was an early mistake that we made. Um, I think most of all, we learned from the Q and a of what kind of common questions immediately come to people's minds when they hear uh, about what we're doing. It's, um, we were still like almost 100% scholar scholarships when we were doing all these pitch competitions. But the initial questions of like, is this a nonprofit? Why aren't you a nonprofit? What are you doing here? How are you raising funds? How are you doing this? Um, and then just starting to learn how to incorporate those things into the pitch um, and uh, was just an important skill to have, kind of how to anticipate questions, how to handle them, how to mitigate the questions that are just... Um, might be rabbit holes. A lot of people like to go down rabbit holes that, that don't, mat don't matter at that stage of the company. It's like, what are your projections for the next five years? It's like, we started this company like three months ago. Like, what does it matter? <laughs> um, but yeah, things like that. Other than the, uh, the big dinner after winning that one in San Diego, <laughs> like any other stories of either like particularly hard or uncomfortable pitch competitions or other ones that, were really fun that you won? Yeah, so uh, there's one called Viet Challenge, and it was a global pitch competition for uh, Vietnamese entrepreneurs and Tuan born and raised in Vietnam. Um, there's something like over 100 companies from around the world were a part of this, and then it narrowed down into like the final six, which was hosted in Boston. Conveniently, we were like one of the only companies who didn't have to travel. <laughs> we're like, great. Um, and it was like a $20,000 pitch competition um, and the judges, we got to have like calls with a couple of them beforehand. And some of them were extremely intense and very successful, like people. And they're just grilling us with questions left and right. And the day before, uh, we met with one judge and he just kind of tore our pitch apart. And we were, we, that was one of the earlier pitch competitions. We didn't have much money. We didn't, like, we're like, we need this. Like we really do, uh, to continue what we're doing full time. 
the day before, like we started, we're like, okay, let's just try to get as much feedback as possible. Um, and then we just, everyone like seemed to hate the pitch. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? Um, two of us, we, Twan and I, we, we went back to Northeastern with where we were working out of at the time. We just kind of sat down and we just tried to process all the feedback. And um, that's something that we realized early on. It's like everyone always has opinions. Everyone always will tell you and pull you in 18, 18 different directions. Like listen to it, listen to it with a grain of salt. Um, and then it's a little bit of go with your gut and say like, hey, we've done this before. We know that we can do this. We know we're good communicators and presenters. Um, let's take this feedback, make any quick tweaks and just like be calm and then go into the next day. Um, we, the audience was a lot bigger than we expected for that event. We walked in at, uh, Twan's comfortable on stage. I still, I still have trouble with that. But I remember just like being like, oh my God, like so much pressure on this one, one pitch competition, but we wound up, we wound up winning, uh, judge favorite pick for the 20,000 and audience favorite. It was a good time. (laughs) Um, super rewarding experience. Um, the, the process was like a months long kind of thing there. Um, but yeah, it was <laughs> very, very gratifying at the end. I love it. I have kind of a, like a little bit of a selfish question that I sent beforehand, but thinking about, um, like for us, we're trying to serve startups. So from your brain, like how do you think about buying things for the team, whether it is a software tool or a piece of technology or, um, maybe like the the tech setup that somebody gets when they first start working from like laptop headphones. Like how do you think about that stuff? Um, in general, I've always been someone who's been pretty detail oriented about everything I buy. I do a ton of research, everything like that just from a personal consumer standpoint. And I think a lot of that carries into how I evaluate um, tech products, like looking at like a different CRM or looking at, you know, a, different even note-taking app or 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 google drive versus box versus dropbox or however um i'm someone who's super hands-on i'll i'll just want to try all of them out um and i know that's time consuming but it's been kind of worth my time the decisions that i wound up making it's like i rarely um do kind of regret oh maybe i should have used this other thing um but aside from just doing my own hands-on just evaluating myself um, a lot of it's just referral based i'll talk to other founders who are similar sized companies and similar stages similar types of uh company structures like in terms of functions say like what do you use i'm talking to someone's like a year out what do you use and kind of see if there's any trends there uh one of the great things about the entrepreneurship ecosystem in boston and just kind of greater entrepreneurship ecosystem in general is like founders know what each other are going through and want to help. Um, and it's, if you ask a simple question of like, Hey, what are you guys using for this? It's like, people will be like, blah, 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 because this. Um, so we trust that a lot. Um, we, we talk to founders, we do our own research, so nothing too crazy. Yeah. Um, like that, when you, before you do your trial period, is the first place you go Google or do you go some other, um, specialized place to do your research? I think by the time that I am looking for a solution for a particular problem, I will already have kind of solutions in my head that I have heard of. And honestly, the brand recognition is, um, I think, a bias. I mean, good marketing, good job. Like, uh, you think task management, like Asana, Trello, like, you know, however. Um, so, by the time we are actively looking for a solution, we'll usually have something in mind. Then we'll look, okay, well, Asana alternatives, um, because I love to play devil's advocate and say, okay, well, sure, they might be the name that comes to mind, but like, what else is out there? Um, if I'm looking for a solution of something that I don't know any existing solution to, it is a lot of Google and then a lot of asking founders. So it's like, hey, have you ever tried to find a tool that does X, Y, and Z? Um, and occasionally that tool might not exist. And they'll go like, I built my own. I'm like, cool. Send me the, send me the code. Like, let's, let's, I need that. <laughs> Got it. Um, that's really helpful for me. Thank you. Um, thinking about maybe like 
you mentioned earlier that you're not in this like frantic race to get to certain revenue numbers that you're interested in learning and developing some relationships. What other goals do you have for the business for this year? Uh, we want to get as many candidates hired as possible. Um, we were trying to think about kind of what is the the metric that uh, matters the most and is the true example of how we're creating value in with doing this business. And when a candidate gets hired, that means the company's happy. They hired someone. The candidate's happy because they got hired. So <clears throat> I think we're going for at least a hundred hires this year is the goal. Um, we'll see. We'll see how things pan out depending on what goes on with the, with the <laughs> current yeah. events. Um, that's kind of one of the biggest goals. And I think that's also what fuels me is the the most rewarding thing. I got an email a couple weeks ago. It was like, Joe, you are my hero. Like, thank you so much for what you and the Scholar Debt team does. <clears throat> this has been a truly amazing opportunity. I learned so much, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, um, one of my teammates printed it out and like shoved it on the wall behind me. So I can look at it. I was like, and sometimes I just walk in, I take a quick glance. I'm like, cool. I, I love what I do. Um, and that's, that's, that's been great. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to measure the feeling that you can get from genuinely helping somebody. So, um, as we wrap up here, is there anything that we missed that you want to try to get in in the last couple minutes? Um, I think I think we covered a lot of ground, kind of Scott's origin, everything like that. What we're working on now, I think the the last thing that I'll touch upon is just kind of for earlier stage entrepreneurs who might be listening to this. And um, one of the things that I would say is just when you're doing all these pivots and things like that, that's something we're going through now, like never stop talking to your customers like entirely. Um, and don't always go for like a close as fast as possible. Just, you know, genuine learning and curiosity and people will hear that, hear that excitement, hear that passion. And, um, if it's bound to happen, like it'll happen. Like, of course there's, you know, you have to develop a sales team eventually and so on and so forth. But um, those two last things come to mind as things that we're, uh, we're thinking through now. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Um, I wanted to just say thanks for, for doing this. I enjoyed that a lot. I think it's going to be really helpful to people that are, I, I always think that like the founder network thing is, so valuable because you have people at such different stages, like somebody that might be two years ahead of you isn't necessarily better. They're just further along. So somebody hearing kind of where you're at and where you came from, I think is, is really valuable. So thank you. I think let's, um, when I hit stop recording, let's hang here for a sec so I can talk about some of the other companies that I think might be good targets. Sure. Well, my pleasure. Uh, always great to try and pay it forward any way I can. Thanks, Joe.